Action. Song is on on SAFM. Hashtag health on Monday, as we always do. The last segment on SAFM, The Viewpoint, would be a conversation to do with health. The state of health care for key populations. This is the conversation now with Ms. Ndibuo Rambao, Project Officer at Richidze Community Healthcare Monitoring Group. People who belong to what is referred to in HIV jargon as key populations, KPs, men and women who have, or rather including men who have sex with men, MSM, people who use drugs, PWUD, sex workers and transgender people often report that it is difficult for them to access healthcare services. While many publications have often reported on such issues, the reporting has mostly focused on individual cases. Last week, community healthcare monitoring group Richidze launched a report titled State of Healthcare for Key Populations. And this large survey has given a glimpse into how big the problem of access to healthcare is. And it also provides some insights into the particular ways in which services for people belonging to KPs fall short. Mr. Rambao, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you so much for having us. I think part of the problems here can be reduced to stereotypes and social mm-hmm. preconditioning that allows service providers at these healthcare spaces to feel a little more entitled to allow their prejudices perhaps to prevail over their fiduciaries, and that is to provide healthcare services. No questions asked beyond that. Am I right? That is correct. So, um, by and large, we're fighting. Uh, um, attitudes um, that are coming up or emerging in uh, key populations um, are accessing services at facilities. And, I mean, this really did show in our data where, first of all, we found that 20% of the sample that we spoke to are not accessing healthcare services anyway, and that's only because of some of the attitudes they received when they get to the facilities. I suppose the question has got to be what sort of questions are being asked or questions that have to be asked so as to then come to the conclusion where your stereotype can then cloud your better judgment, that is to assess the person in terms of what health care need they need and direct them accordingly. How, how do we get to a point where I now know as the healthcare provider, oh, okay, this person has HIV and AIDS and was having sex with another man, and that allows my prejudice to take over more than it should be my professional engagement and only that that should be in, engaged, as it were. So, so it is most of the KPs who we spoke to um, because in Richidze, we collect data and we also collect community testimonies um, from people using facilities. And what we found, for example, amongst um, MS, um, men who have sex with men who identify as female or who may appear to be female or have feminine um, traits, once they get to the facility and they may be wearing their makeup, the first thing that a nurse might ask is why are you dressed like that or why are you dressing like this? If it's a trans woman, for example, the first thing they ask is, but you look so good as a young man, why would you want to change yourself? And that ultimately just brings out the stereotyping and the misgendering, and that is where K-pop start feeling very uncomfortable when trying to access services. 
And I suppose, and I want to use this word, I just want to make sure I'm using it correctly, the tendency, the, the, the word recidivism is people who don't enjoy the space that ought to receive them then go back to the community to be a menace. So in this instance, you will find that those who need this healthcare intervention being denied it at the point where they should be getting it simply go on with their lives in the community, absent this health intervention, and then recreating problems for the healthcare system with other people because not only did they not enjoy the service the first time, they are disinclined to go a second time precisely because of the initial experience. And how now does that create even bigger problems on top of the fact that this is in fact on its own a problem? I hope my question it, is clear. It, it becomes a very big problem because if our key populations are not accessing services at facilities and key populations are known to be the most vulnerable um, in terms of HIV infection, we, we can't ensure long-term retention on ARVs, which ultimately means that we can't reach the UNA 95-95-95 targets. So it's very important to start fixing the route, which is, you know, attitudes at the facilities in order to ensure that key populations have a safe space when they do go into facilities. And what we found in our data is that, um, the, for example, there are um, three essentially like um, services that um, KPs can use. They can go to a facility, um, they can use a drop-in center, or they can use a mobile clinic. The issue with the drop-in centers is that not a lot of KPs are aware of drop-in um, drop centers. And in most provinces, there's only one or two drop-in centers, which means that KPs need to have transport monies to be able to get to, these, um, to the drop-in centers. With mobile clinics as well, some areas, especially rural areas, don't have a mobile clinic where um, KPs can access their services. So this ultimately means that... Um, the satisfaction, for example, with drop-in centers is much more higher um, than with facilities mm -hmm. because when KPs get to the drop-in centers, they're much more received. There are people who are trained in KP issues um, that, that can give them a safe space to, to engage, to ask about their health and how they go about certain things. And, and of course, engaging the KPs as you have in this survey is but a drop in the ocean because particularly when you talk about access to services, you're talking about something far bigger than just healthcare on its own being the sort of indicator that is now compromised because you're talking about apartheid spatial planning and the uneven or unfair or un yeah, uneven distribution of state muscle to challenges that the state ought to make less of and just that on its own doesn't allow the maximum utilization of healthcare services or optimal utilization of healthcare services and then you compound the problem if you like with these KPs. So to the extent that that is true and I believe it is, what are the immediate interventions that society could um, implement, government could implement or the agents or, or stakeholders in the broader sense of the public healthcare system and private healthcare system, frankly, yeah. to, to, to try and arrest this trend. So, so as a there, we do have a few recommendations that we came up with um, that speak to the National Department of Health, that also speak to 
um, implementing partners um, that are funded by PEPCO, for example. So in instances like, for, for example, with pe- people who use drugs, um, there are lots of reports of them being turned away from the facility, not being given any access to the facility. And we feel that, you know, any reports of poor staff attitude, privacy violations or verbal or physical abuse should be urgently investigated by the Department of Health. Um, also, there's just a, a need to um, issue maybe a circular as well, you know, that indicates that or outlines that KP should never be refused entry to public health facilities and that KP should be treated in a friendly and dignified and respectful manner and um, privacy violations or ill treatment should have or should be met with um, consequences. And the most important thing, I think, is also around sensitization. So a lot of KPs will tell you that mm, mm. Um, the, 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 the bad attitude or the stereotyping or the misgendering starts at the gate with security guards. So when we do roll out sensitization programs, we need to start at the gate with our security guards to show that, that we are living in a diverse um, country, we're living in, with diverse sexualities, people don't identify um, as just being, you know, a man or a female as, as, as them being um, um, social constructs and so on. So there is a need also to include KPs in these trainings. So if we are having a training on trans people, let's include trans people to come and share their experiences say what makes them uncomfortable and what goes and what doesn't. But this conversation is not you. I mean, everything, and, and, and you are correct in addressing the issues and what needs to be done to address the issues. But for the most part, I didn't hear from what you say something new. Why is it that these recommendations don't seem to filter down and become actions where they really are desirous? Because this is a conversation that is old, isn't it? It, indeed it is. So as a chief, they were really trying to reinforce um, the recommendations as well. And also to, to if anything, um, PEPFA and, global, and the Global Fund should also ensure that, you know, minimal um, package of services is provided. So this is also us reaching out to PEPFA, reaching out to the National Department of Health and say, we are leaving our KPs behind and we need to carry them along in our HIV response. Talking about PEPFAR, and of course for those who don't quite know what that um, abbreviation is, it is the United States President Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, PEPFAR. Trump at some point threatened to pull out because it simply wasn't serving the interests of the United States. To what extent can you tell us is the position of the Biden administration? Because it is these foreign funds that allow us to augment our health care rollout, as, as you've mentioned, the Department of Health would have the muscle, but certainly not enough to meet some of these challenges. So in terms of the current administration, we are working together with them. Currently, we are having our um, COP meetings um, to finalize, you know, country operational plans and so on. Um, But they have been supportive and they are really looking into our recommendations and they are really taking the data seriously, especially since they've heard KPs at the accountability accountability meeting also, like, sharing their experiences and really telling them that, look, see us. Um, do something. We've been crying for a long time. We've been killed for a long time. Help us. Very well. Final question to you. How do we as South Africans just speak better and engage each other differently for the better so that we can get to a point where 
we're not really talking about KPs, people who are ostracized because of ultimately their sexual preferences. So that is that is a discussion and a conversation that we need to also start in our own home. Um, we have a lot of KPs who, who are not accepted at home in the first place. So it's a conversation that really needs to, 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 to filter down to our mothers, to our fathers, um, including our religious leaders, um, in order for us to understand and to embrace and to open up for KPs. We've got a lot of um, KPs who are living in hiding, who, who don't have a place to turn to. So really, it, it, it starts really at the root um, to us opening up and engaging and embracing our KPs. Very well. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, Ms. Ndivua Rambao, Project Officer at Richidze Community Healthcare Monitoring Group, talking to us about some of the challenges that remain in the rollout of healthcare services for the enjoyment of South Africans, as in line with what Mark Haywood spoke to earlier on, socioeconomic rights. Thank you for what was certainly a wonderful show. We have a date again tomorrow. Hashtag Tuesday Takeover. You don't want to miss this.